There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. 
This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Good news. That's kind of a foreign concept, right? In our world, at least, good news. Like, good news is not the news. If you ever watch the news, you know that it's not good news because bad news is what gets clicks. Bad news is what keeps you watching. Bad news is what dominates the headlines. We live in a world that is obsessed with, maybe even addicted to bad news, and living in that world, we get We get trained on how to pay attention to bad news and how to let bad news define what's happening in the world around us and maybe even what's happening in our own lives. So much so that we don't really expect the news to be good and when good news actually is what we get, we get kind of surprised by that. I remember a little over a year ago, Megan, my wife, was pregnant with Judah, our third child, and and I'm driving one of our cars. I say that as if we have many cars. We have two. I was driving half of our cars and... uh, And I heard this sound. And I'm not a car guy. I never have been. I never will be. I've given up hope on that. I'm the guy that when the car breaks down, I pop the hood and I just go, okay. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I have no idea. I don't know why I popped the hood to begin with, but I just do that because that's what you're supposed to do. And uh, and so I'm driving the car and I hear this noise and I'm like, oh, this sounds sounds bad. I've never heard a car make this noise. I know enough about cars to know that if your car makes a noise that scares you, that's bad. And I also know enough about cars to know that bad plus car equals expensive. And so I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, not now. Like, not now. This is the worst timing in the world. We're about to have a baby, our third child. We don't have a ton in savings to begin with. And I don't want to wipe it all out to fix the car. This is the worst possible timing. And I'm having this little, you know, mini crisis as I drive. And, and so I had an idea. A little bit of a tough sell with Megan. But I had this idea. I said, you know what? Judah's not coming for three months. We've got three months to save. We've got three months. We, we could go down to one car for three months, save all the money we would be spending on gas, save in, in every extra area we could think of, no eating out, no extra spending, nothing, and in three months we will save enough to be able to pay off whatever this monstrous car bill is obviously going to be. And so I went to Megan with that. And, and I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with a woman who's significantly pregnant, okay? It's, it's kind of intimidating, Right? As, as a man, there are a few things that scare me more than pregnant women. I'm just, gonna, I'm just being honest. Like I've, Megan's been pregnant three times, and, and every time she gets what she wants, right? Because uh, it's just the way it goes. And so I said, hey, honey, I am so sorry this has happened, but I need you to trust me. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to go down to one car, and, and that means that when I'm at work and you're at home, you're either going to have to go without a car and be stuck, or you need to get up in the morning and get the kids together and drive me to work, and then do that again when I get off work, and I'll just let that be up to you. Um, And we we need to not eat out. So you know all those cravings that you have all the time? I need you to say no to those. Just for three months. Just for three months so we can can have this child and not be financially strapped. Just trust me. And 
And she went along with it for six weeks. <laughs> not, not three months. Six weeks in, she just looked at me and she said, I'm seven months pregnant. I'm tired of being your driver. I'm done. I want to eat what I want. Go get the car fixed. I don't care how much it costs. And I was scared for my life. And I said, yes. I mean, I told you, I'm <laughs> being honest. And so I start up the car for the first time in, in over a month. And it's making that noise again. And I pull into the shop. And I'm just... I'm just reserved to being broke, but the good news is it would not be the first time I've been there before. So I drop it off, and I get a call three hours later from the, the shop, and it began the way I thought it would begin. The, the gentleman said, Mr. McTeer, we, uh, we took a look at your car. We have some news. We think we have figured it out. And I'm like, all right, here it comes. And he says, uh, your car was very, very low on oil, very low. And so oil is what lubricates all those, those gears and all the things inside of your car. That's what you were hearing. But the good news is, no real damage was done. We just filled it with oil and you're good. And I was like, I remember telling the guy, you know, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm not a car guy, but it sounds to me like you just said you gave me an oil change. And he says, yes, sir. It'll be $30. You can pick her up when you're ready. And I'm like excited because I was, I was, I swore it was going to be like a thousand dollars, something crazy, you know, transmission, something. I don't really even know what a transmission does, but I know it's expensive. I just, I knew it was going to be something like that. And so I'm on, I'm on cloud nine. I called Megan. I'm like, honey, you're not going to believe the news. Good news. It was just an oil change the whole time. 30 bucks. That's it. And she did not seem as excited <laughs> as I was. Not even, not even close. She sort of just paused. And then she said, are you, are you? telling me that I have been your personal chauffeur at seven months pregnant for the last six weeks because you did not change the oil in the car. And I said, that's one way to look at it. Like that is, that's an angle you can choose to see it from. I do believe there's another angle though, and that's that it only costs $30 and we saved all this money and this is a good, this is good news. Trust me, this is good news. And then she said, are you telling me that for the last six weeks I have said no to every craving I have as a woman who's seven months pregnant in case you forgot because you didn't change the oil. And I was like, honey, 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 where do you want to eat tonight? Where do you? And that's when it was good news to Megan. That's when she finally came around. I just expected it to be bad. I, I just thought it, it's going to be bad. I know it's going to be bad because I'm, I'm part of this world, and this world trains us to expect bad news. And that's part of the reason Jesus is so refreshing. Because Jesus brings good news. And Jesus is good news, not just for our world, but for your life today. When Jesus decided to step into the limelight, so to speak, and let the world know that he was here and let the world know who he was, his opening statement, this is what Jesus chose to lead with, was, was this. He read from the prophet Isaiah. We can see it in Luke chapter 4. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So, right from the outset, Jesus was all about bringing people good news. And that's what he did. Left and right, it's, it's good news. Good news followed Jesus everywhere he went. When he interacted with anyone, if they were even just the slightest bit open to God, they would get good news from Jesus. One time there was this woman who was just doing her daily routine. She was heading to a well to get water, and Jesus happened to be at that well. And so Jesus starts talking to her as she's getting her water, and he starts going on and on about living water, and, and she just thinks he's nuts. Here's this guy next to a well talking about living water. 
And she's just sort of going, uh-huh, okay, I'm just trying to get my water and go. Please don't attack me. Um, and Jesus has to convince her that he's not crazy. He was using a metaphor to talk about this life that he offers us that, that fills us so fully. So fully, it's, it's like we're alive for the very first time. And, and he proves that he's not crazy to her by telling her everything about her life. They've never met before, and Jesus just lays out her life story right in front of her. And she's taken aback. And the, the thing about it is, is her life story is not one she was particularly proud of. Her life story had some, some secrets, and she had worked really hard to keep some of those things secret. So it doesn't seem like it would be good news for Jesus to sit there and list out all the things she's done in her life. But see, for the very first time, here's someone who knows everything about her, but he's not judging her. He's not condemning her. He's not, he's not laying on shame and guilt. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus loves her, and he loves her so much that he pulls the curtain back, and she becomes the very first person that ever hears Jesus say from his mouth directly, I'm the Messiah. She's the first person that's ever brought in that close. And it changes her life. She immediately starts going back to her hometown, and she's walking around town going, I've got good news. I met a man, and he told me everything I've ever done. He knew all of it, and he loved me, and he accepted me, and he included me. God's not mad at me. God wants to know me. It was good news to her. There was another time that a, a woman came to Jesus, and she was desperate. She had this medical problem, and, and the doctors in her day couldn't solve it. She'd spent all of her money trying to have it fixed, but, but to no avail. And to make matters worse, in her culture, if you had a disease or a disability or just serious misfortune hit your life, people didn't have, have compassion on you, not very much anyway, because they believed that that was God punishing you, that obviously you had done something so bad that God was giving you your, your just desserts. And so rather than have compassion, they just ignored you. They ostracized you. They shunned you. You were a pariah. And so she's lived her life this way, but she goes to Jesus, and she has so much faith in Jesus that she just touches him, and she's instantly healed. And then she sort of tries to sneak away. She's used to that. But Jesus stops. And the Bible says that Jesus saw her. It's very, very powerful. It says he saw her. For once, and who knows how long, he didn't look past her. He didn't overlook her. He saw her. He, he understood her. And that day she got really good news. And the news was not simply you're healed. The news was you're seen. That you're not alone. The idea that God was not punishing her, that was news to her and it was good news because Jesus was letting her know that somebody cared and not just anybody but God himself. She was noticed. She was known. She was loved. That was good news. There was a man that brought his son to Jesus. His son was dealing with something real serious and he had heard that Jesus could heal people but he didn't have the faith that this woman had where if he just touched Jesus, his son would be healed or anything like that. To be honest, he was a skeptic and who could blame him? It's kind of crazy. There's this man and he touches people and they're, they're healed. But when you love your kids, you'll do anything for them and so he brings his son to Jesus and he goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you know, this is my son, here's what's going on. Heal him if you can. He puts in that, that if. If you're able because he's not sure. And that day, he got really, really good news from Jesus because Jesus looked at him and Jesus said, oh, I'm able. And right in front of him, he healed his son. And that man got his son back. His son was whole for the very first time. But more than that, that man understood, maybe for the first time in his life, that God is able. That God is not just some distant being or, or some made-up idea. 
that God is, is, is powerful, that God is able, that God can. Jesus could and Jesus did, and that was good news for this man. There's another man that came to Jesus to be healed himself, and, and he had all the faith in the world. He knew Jesus could, but his, his question was, would Jesus, would he for me? And so he asked Jesus to heal him, but he throws an if in there as well. He says, Jesus, heal me if you're willing. And we don't know what happened in this man's life, but obviously he's questioning whether or not he's worth the investment. He's worth the time. He's worth a little bit of Jesus' power. And, and that day he got really good news because Jesus looked him in the eyes and Jesus said, I am willing. And he healed him. Everywhere you look with Jesus, it's just good news, good news, good news, good news, everywhere. And we could tell story after story. It would take a really long time. But I want to look at just one more. This is a big one. Jesus' closest friends and followers are, are hiding. They're terrified for their lives. They're behind closed doors, doors that are locked. They're trying to figure out how they can, how they can escape, how they can get out of Dodge, because just a few days earlier, Jesus died. And they did not see that coming. See, they had risked everything for Jesus. To walk with Jesus and be associated with Jesus, it was risky. It still is risky in so many places in the world, by the way. But they were putting their lives on the line. They knew that. Jesus had enemies, very, very powerful enemies. But see, when you stood next to Jesus, you just felt safe. Because they had, they had heard Jesus say things that only God could say. Things that were so profound that there's just no way anyone other than God could even think things like that. Jesus had an understanding and an insight on the human condition that only makes sense if he's the one who authored humanity. And so they heard him say things that just blew their minds and they thought only God could know these things. But beyond that, they saw Jesus do things that only God could do. They saw miracles. They saw, they saw things that were unexplainable. And so they thought, man, I've got Jesus, I'm, I'm safe, I'm good. But, but then they saw some things that they never thought they'd see. They saw, they saw soldiers come and arrest Jesus, and Jesus didn't really put up much of a fight. And they saw Jesus put on trial, and they were probably waiting for Jesus just to, to nail his, his accusers with a defense that they couldn't touch, but Jesus didn't say a word. And a few of them even watched Jesus beaten and crucified. And their heads are spinning. They're thinking, how, how is this possible? Not only how did we lose Jesus, but, I mean, is Jesus really who he said he was? Is he really the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Is he God in the flesh? Because I would think it would take more than a few nails and a cross to kill God. And they're asking themselves the questions we'd all be asking. Man, was I taken for a fool? Am I just gullible? Am I just, am I just a sucker? Like, what happened? And all they can think right now is, I'm taking no more risk for Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. And they hear a knock on the door. And no doubt they're terrified that it's the soldiers. But it's not, it's not soldiers coming to arrest them. It's these, these women who had just gotten back from Jesus' tomb. They were followers of Jesus as well. There was a woman named Mary. There was another woman named Mary. There's a third woman named Mary. There's a fourth woman potentially named Mary. And there was a, a fifth woman named Salome. And so... You know, she's the oddball. And they come in, and they look at these men, and they say, we've got good news. Like, we have good news. He's alive. Jesus is risen, and the men just sort of stand there. They had the same reaction Megan had when I told her that it was just an oil change. They didn't seem very excited at this obvious good news. They just say, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean he's alive? What are you talking about? And the women say, we went to his tomb, and and the stone that, 
that was ordered to be placed in his tomb to be extra secure because the Pharisees were afraid that something would happen and, and Jesus would be, would be gone because he had predicted this. He had predicted his death and that he would be raised. And they're thinking, oh man, if, if the disciples take his body, then that's going to look like it was true and we're going to have a whole other mess on our hands. So they're like, we want a huge stone to seal the tomb, a stone so big that it would take an earthquake or a multitude of people to, to, to roll it away. And so God just sent an earthquake because you know, he can get that done. It's gone, it's been rolled away and, and the soldiers that were guarding the tomb, they're nowhere to be found because when the earthquake happened and they saw angels, they like freaked out and ran away. And who could blame them? And they go there and Jesus' body, it's not there. And then Mary, one of, one of the Marys anyway, says, I talked to him, I saw him. He's alive and, and the disciples still can't quite believe it. Two of them get up the courage to run and go see for themselves and they see the empty tomb and they're thinking, okay, I mean, I guess it's possible but Still, they, they can't quite believe until a short time later, they see Jesus for themselves. And they talk to Jesus and they touch Jesus. Like Jesus actually let them poke him. Can you imagine that moment? I'm alive and they're like, can't, we would all do the same, right? Like, no offense, but can I? Can I? Okay, he's alive. And see, at this moment, fear is gone. They, they go from being these these men in hiding, they go right out in the streets and they start telling everybody that he's alive, that he's risen. And if this is a lie, by the way, they're the most unintelligent men that have ever lived because they literally have nothing to gain by telling the truth than certain death, and that is what they experienced. All but one of them was martyred for their faith in Jesus. They have nothing to gain to perpetuate this lie. They have everything to lose, but they, they know it's not a lie. They've seen him, they've touched him, and they go out and they start telling people. And other people are seeing Jesus. And miracles are happening and crazy stuff's going. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees, the people who oppose Jesus, think that they've, they've dealt with Jesus because they put some nails in him. And they find out that, hey, it is actually very hard to kill God. He gets back up. He's alive. And that is good, good news for all of us here. That is good news. Jesus is just, it's good news on top of good news. See, maybe you're here today and, and maybe you're not proud of your life story. Maybe you're not proud of your past. Maybe it's your recent past. Maybe you look at yourself and you feel like you have disqualified yourself from being valuable to God or to the world around you. And Jesus would look at you and he would say, look, I know everything you've ever done and I love you. I am far, far more concerned with you than your mistakes. And I do not put guilt on you and I'm not going to shame you. And I'm not just going to be another people in the long line of people who have told you that you haven't measured up. I'm going to look at you and I'm going to include you. I'm going to bring you in to my plans. Your past does not disqualify you from God's future. And that is good, good news. Maybe, maybe you feel kind of invisible. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like no one understands you. You have all these issues. You have struggles and no one really gives you the time of day. People look past you. People just say, oh, well, yeah, they've, they, they've done this to themselves. I have good news for you today. You're not alone. There's a God. His name is Jesus. He's alive, and he sees you. He sees you. He sees you like no one else has ever seen you. He's the one person who looks at you, and he looks right to your heart, and you are not misunderstood. He understands you are noticed, you are known, and you are loved by God. And that is good news. That is such good news. Maybe you're here today and you're like, okay, I, 
I guess there might be a God. Maybe you're struggling with that, and we all do, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where it's okay to to question. God's not afraid of questions. I believe that. And you're just wondering, okay, if God is real, is he really able to help me? Is he really able to step into my world and my life and deal with my issues right now? I want you to know that there is good news for you today. There's a man named Jesus. He's alive and he is able. And there's nothing he can't do. I've experienced it for myself. Seven years ago today, I was in the NICU at Kennestone Hospital with my newborn son, Liam, our firstborn. And I'm having a a pretty interesting start to being a dad because the doctors don't know what's wrong with him. He he can't breathe on his own. He's having seizures, and we have no idea what to do. And so we're just there. Can't even really hold him. He's hooked up to all these these tubes and these machines, and, and I'm just beside myself. Every single day, the doctors come in, and they have a new potential diagnosis, and And then they rule that out with tests, but that means that the next potential diagnosis is more serious. This just keeps happening, and every day is looking more and more grim. And I got to a breaking point. They came to to take Liam away for another test. There's so many tests. And this one was really serious, and they were pretty certain that that this is what it was, that they had figured it out, because they'd ruled so many other things out. And, And this would be something that would affect him for the rest of his life. And honestly, I was okay with that. I love my kids. I love my kids no matter what. But I was so broken and desperate, and I broke down, and I just cried out to Jesus. And I mean, I cried out to Jesus. In the waiting room of the Kennestone Hospital NICU, I made noises that they probably sent doctors to check on me. I just couldn't see them. I don't know. And I asked Jesus, point blank, to heal my son. And they brought Liam back an hour later from that test, and from that moment on, he never had another seizure, never had another breathing episode. They sent us home two days later. Yeah. They sent us home two days later, and they put this device on his chest, and they said, this is going to go off if he has another breathing episode or anything like that, and so pay attention, and, and it never went off one time. We got to give it back to them and say, not once. They told us to pay really close attention to his development to make sure he you know, developed normally, because you never know what, what could have happened, and, and I'm telling you, he's a normal seven-year-old. Like, he rolled his eyes at me so hard this morning. <laughs> he's normal. He's totally normal. He's a normal kid. He's extraordinary, actually. And, and I'm, I'm saying this to you because I want you to know Jesus is able. Now, some people might say, how do you know Jesus did that? How do you know that that was Jesus? Because maybe there's a more logical explanation, and in my opinion, there's not. And here's why. I love pizza, okay? <laughs> Stay with me. This, this is, I know that was a jump. But when I call Papa John's, because Papa John's is my pizza place, and I realize, let me get this out, I know there's Domino's people here, I know there's like Pizza Hut people here, and and the beautiful thing about a church is that we don't have to agree on everything to be together, okay? So have your pizza the way you want. But I like Papa John's, and I have not been paid to say this. So I called Papa John's, and I ordered pizza not that long ago, and when the doorbell rang, I didn't go, I wonder who that is. And when I opened the door and I saw a person standing there with pizza, I didn't think to myself, maybe this is Domino's. Maybe this is just some guy with a pizza who needs directions. Like, I was not confused in that moment because when I call Papa John's and a pizza shows up at my door, 100% of the time it's been Papa John's. Every single time. And so whenever I go to Jesus and I ask Jesus for something, And exactly what I asked for shows up at my door in my life. I don't wonder who did it. It's Jesus. It's so clear. 
brings a whole new meaning to the idea that Jesus delivers. Whole new meaning. Okay? So just take that. That's all you get today. That's fine. It takes longer than 30 minutes sometimes. But, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm not complaining. He's able. And if you need something to happen in your life today, if you're here and you're like, look, I'm, I'm desperate for something. He's alive and he's able. And maybe you're wondering if he's willing. Maybe you're here and you're like, I believe in God. I believe he's able. I've seen him do stuff. But I just, I'm not sure if he's going to do that for me. I'm not the kind of person that gets the miraculous stuff. I'm not the kind of person that, that has God do these types of things. The Bible says that, that God is no respecter of persons. And that actually sounds really negative, like he doesn't respect us. No, he respects us incredibly. It means that he doesn't play favorites. He's not going to look at one person and go, I'm going to give you all I've got. I'm going I'm to give you my power. I'm going to give you my love. And he looks at someone else and goes, yeah. I don't really like you. That's, that's not how he is. It's for everybody. So, so look, I'm telling you, God is willing. He is willing to step into your life and he's willing to do things that only God can do. And you can trust that. That's good news for your life that there is a God in this world and he's forgiven you of everything. He knows it all. He wants to include you in what he's doing. You cannot be disqualified from his love, by the way. He sees you, he understands you, and when it comes to the problems that you have, he is able and he is willing because he's alive. That's why. That's the good news of Jesus. He's alive. See, if Jesus was just a, a historical figure, he's just a dead man who lived a great life, we could be inspired by Jesus. We could look at his life and we could say, yeah, he did some great things. He said some beautiful things. And I, I want to I live a life like that. And that, that'd be fine, but a dead man can't help you today. And Jesus can because he's alive. He's alive and he's active and he's working and you, you can know him. Like you can know him. This is, this is good news for your life. I'm telling you, Jesus is the good news you've been waiting for. Because 2,000 years ago, he died and he got back up and he walked out of the tomb and, and he was a man who had said some things and done some things that no one else had ever done before, but all of that would have been for nothing. All of that would have been discredited and Jesus would be forgotten if he hadn't backed up everything he said and did by, by defeating death. And he shows us, he shows us that when it comes to Jesus, death does not have the final say. Jesus does. And so we have to understand what he says about us. And here's what he says about you. He says, you're worthy. He says, you're worth everything. You're worth my life. He gave his life for you. He says that you're his child, that you belong in the family of God, that you, you are meant to live your life understanding that the God of this universe created you for a purpose and that he wants you here. You're no accident. And he tells you that there's nothing that you have done or ever could do that will change the way he feels about you. And that is good good news and you need that news. I know that many of us here have experienced that, but look, as someone that's been following Jesus for over 20 years, sometimes I forget how good the good news is. Sometimes I get caught up in all the bad, sometimes I turn on CNN and I go, oh, it's so bad. And I've learned that there's no such thing as God is good, but. No, God is good, period. The good news of Jesus, it trumps everything. He's good. And if you're here this morning and, you know, you're, you're at church because someone invited you, what an awesome person, by the way. If you're here because, you know, it's Easter, it's what you do. I, 
look, I just I want you to, to know that from my perspective and take it for what it what it is, you need the good news of Jesus to be what defines your life. It's time, it's time for the bad news of life's circumstances to stop defining you, and it's time for the good news of Jesus Christ to be what defines your perspective, to be what defines your future, to be what defines every day that you live. It's the good news of Jesus that's meant to define you. And so my hope for you is that you would just accept it. And maybe you're here today and you're at rock bottom and you're like, I'm feeling something. That's Jesus. Or indigestion. I don't know what you had for breakfast. <laughs> but it's probably Jesus. And so say yes to that. Like, say yes to Jesus. You don't even have to understand it all. Jesus' disciples didn't even know he was God when they said yes to following him. You'll figure it out as you go. By the way, that's why we're here. That's why we have a great church. You, you need Jesus. Don't stop short at church, ever. You need Jesus, not, not me or anyone else. But together, we help each other grow. And so maybe today's a day that you walk out of here and, and you say yes to Jesus for the first time. And what I would just encourage you to do is be here next week and, and let us help you grow. Let us come alongside you and make it as easy as possible to be surrounded by great people who can encourage you and pray for you every step of the way, through every part of your journey. That's why we're here. We love you. And we may have never even met you before. So it's very forward, but we love you. We really do. Maybe you're here and your life is not at rock bottom. Maybe your life's actually going really well, but it actually makes it harder for you because you feel empty. And you're doing fine and other people might even look at your life and envy it, but you're like, something is missing. I have all this stuff. I have all this success in the world's eyes. And I... I'm not happy, I have no joy. You need Jesus. Because having money in your bank account and driving a nice car and having a job and being healthy, that's, that's okay news. It's not bad news. But you need good news. You need the good news of Jesus that lets you know, hey, if your circumstances happen to change, guess what won't change? The love that Jesus has for you and the power that he has. You need your life to be defined by the good news of Jesus. So say yes to Jesus. There's no ritual, by the way. This is not a religion, it's a relationship. So you don't have to stand up, you don't have to come forward, you don't have to raise your hand, you just have to say in your heart right now, I'm yours. I believe the good news about you. And if that's a decision you make today, welcome to the family. He's good. He just gets better and better. There's nothing he cannot do, there's nothing he will not do for you. And that's very very good news. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us your good news. Because we need it, Lord. I mean, our heads spin so much because we look around at the world and it just seems like it's bad. So much bad. And if that's all we look at, we get blinded and, and we begin to believe that bad is, is all that happens. But you said when you came to proclaim the good news that you give sight to the blind. And Lord, so we ask that you would open our eyes and you would help us see you. That our eyes would be focused on something and someone so good that all the bad and all the dark just fades away. That the light of your love would illuminate our path and our lives and we would have clarity in, in where to go and what to do and who to become. Jesus, we ask that you would do what only you could do, that you would show up, that you would make yourself known in our lives, and that we would let you be the one that defines who we are. 
because you call us good. And that's good news to us, Lord. We love you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.